Let's try something that might be positive on the podcast daily. Welcome in. It is Wednesday. It is traditionally a stock watch day. We can get into some stocks. That's Bill Landis and I'm Austin Ward. And so here's what I want to do, Bill. Not everything in the Cotton Bowl was as uncomfortable and disastrous as maybe it felt at the time or the way we evaluated it after the game. Certainly, there had to be a few performances against Missouri on Friday night at AT&T Stadium that count for something heading into 2024. Yeah, yeah, no, there, there definitely were. Um, most of them most of them on the defensive side, probably. Um, but there was there was at least one on the offensive side that I that I thought was encouraging and that was that was Travion Henderson's and I don't know what that means because we don't we don't know as we record this what exactly Travion's going to end up doing um a- after the season that just passed but I thought he ran really hard I thought he looked explosive um and again like it felt it felt a little bit like the Michigan game to me where you were just kind of waiting for him to hit a really big one now he, he hit some longer ones against Missouri that he ended up hitting uh, against Michigan but I, I thought I thought Travion looked fresh and and when we talked to people in Dallas like in the week Leading up to the game, and in particular Brian Hartline, he he said like Travion looks fast, and I think that's the shorthand that people use when like Travion looks like Travion. Um, he's just incredibly explosive. So it's they probably should have given him the ball more. And like I, I know I'm saying that as someone who said he was like a proponent of Travion not getting 30 touches in, in the Cotton Bowl, but I think it was clear that the passing game wasn't quite working, at least downfield passing, and maybe there was an opportunity to get the ball to Travion more via the screen game or, or, or simply just running the ball more, more than Ohio State did because I thought he was easily their best offensive player on a day where like I, I don't really know that anyone other on the offense like had had much of a of a good day. Uh, but I thought Travion looked pretty good. And like if again it's it was in line with how he looked in the second half of the season. So if if he decides he wants to come back and that's the guy that's going to be maybe not the catalyst of Ohio State's offense, but at the very least an incredibly important piece of it, then that's something I think you should feel pretty good about. Yeah, it's um, it's as tough to evaluate as anything in that game, right? Because you look at his numbers, you're like, I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of negative plays. There's not a ton of actual yardage here for Travion. Uh, it was more of like a, a feel thing that he could have, yes. if the blocking had been better, if the play calling had been more creative, if they had gone, I almost like, can't believe that the the jumbo package with Caden McDonald, who was a person that I was going to talk about in the show as well, and Tegra Shabola was like that we only saw it like two or three times because it worked, right? It may not have worked every single time, but there were opportunities to do that. And Ohio State clearly felt like its only way to move the football in this game, even when Devin even before Devin Brown got re-injured, it was like, this is gonna be a heavy run game. So why they were like worried that that was going to telegraph too much what they were doing didn't make a ton of sense to me. Again, I'm not trying to be negative. I, I'm, I'm meaning it as a positive. They put the found a role for Caden McDonald. He went out and played fullback. Even when he missed a block on the second one, he turned around, gave extra effort, and dove to throw his body in the way to try and make something happen. I really liked seeing that extra effort. Now he's not a fullback, yeah. uh, so it's projecting like the the fact that Ohio State gave him a role of importance in this game. And what that might line up with what we heard about maybe in a you know middle port part of the season for him at, on the defensive line. But you know, Tegra was out there and he was ready to throw his body around. And we know he's been itching for more opportunity in a role. Um, I was like, why just call it after two or three times? Like I would have been fine watching them try and do an entire drive of that, like Michigan in the second half against Penn State. 
if you weren't going to bother with the downfield passing attack, they were telegraphing what they were doing anyway. So why not just yeah. go for it? Because Travion was ready to run hard. Xavier Johnson was going to run hard on some of that stuff, pulling around, and like, he had a great game. He doesn't matter for the 2024 Stockwatch conversation. He was really the only consistent weapon that felt like Ohio State was able to exploit. But um, like those those guys were playing hard. And even in this game where you're looking at no offensive touchdown, like shouldn't talk about anybody really shining on that side of the ball. I, those guys were playing hard. I, I don't. That's the thing that we said on Friday. It was more of a schematic issue and not a personnel thing in my mind. Yeah, I haven't gone back and rewatched the Cotton Bowl because I'm I'm not that much of a sicko. So I, I don't I don't I don't think that I will, but maybe maybe it's worth going back to watch some of this stuff because I don't I don't know off the top of my head how many times they ran that package with Kane McDonald in the backfield and Tegra Shabola as, as an extra blocker. And sometimes only Tegra was out there with without Caden, so it wasn't like they were traveling together at all times. But I agree with you. Like I, I thought both guys played well, like to the point where and I know I'm not alone in this feeling, like they should have pulled Enoch Kamahi out of the game and let Tegra play guard at some point, I, I think, just at the very least to see what it looks like because um, it certainly didn't look very good with, with Enoch playing playing right guard. But I, I do put a little bit of stock in guys just like get being, being given a role, even if it's a small one, and then when they go out there and they're t- told to perform that task, they they do it fairly well, but but even more importantly, they play hard, as you said. And you you turned to me during that one play when Kane McDonald kind of made that extra effort and said, like, oh, that was pretty impressive. And I... I agreed with you. Like, obviously, whatever the future holds for Caden McDonald is not on the offensive side of the ball. But um, I think I think when you see a guy like playing with a little bit of juice, um, showing a, showing a high motor, especially when a guy is like actually a defensive tackle, those are things that I think can can translate when you project forward and, into what he could be in twenty twenty four. And and he might have to step up into a big spot next year, depending on what happens with with that position. We know they're not going to have Mike Hall. We know that Jaden McKenzie has transferred. We're waiting on Tyleek Williams and, and Ty Hamilton as an older guy who I suppose has to make a decision too. And even if the, both those guys come back, it's still an incredibly young position behind those behind those top two guys. And and someone's going to have to step up and fill that void. And certainly it could be Tywon Malone or you know Jason Moore or really, really anybody, Hero Canoe. But um, I would buy some stock in Caden McDonald, I think, both both based on what we heard about him during the season and how he was kind of popping in practice a little bit. And then, you know, the fact that they put him into a big spot in the Cotton Bowl, I think, shows that they trust him. Yeah, I wish that we had an opportunity to talk more about Brandon Ennis or Carnell Tate. They, you know, we got to see a little bit of practice, the first, you know, viewing periods that we would had since August with this team. They looked the part physically. We talked about them a lot while we were down in Dallas. Like I, I'm excited to see the next step in their development. And clearly there's a, there's even a little more importance to that now with Noah and Bryson Rogers both uh, having moved on in the transfer portal. But I'll, I would say not from the Cotton Bowl specific because they barely got involved in the passing attack with the obvious limitations that Ohio State was dealing with there. But the way that they, they move physically, uh, mm-hmm. some of what Brian Hartline talked about, with Carnell Tate was like, you may have seen more of that in September and October. There was a little bit of a, a health concern that we weren't fully privy to uh, with him that may have impacted his playing time. You know, Brandon Ennis was just trying to play catch up after arriving in the summer. So I, I, I thought maybe by Friday night, we would have a really impressive stock watch and there may be five, six catches, you know, for Carnell Tate or a couple flashes in the slot for Brandon Ennis. That did not quite connect to the way that, that I thought, but I think coming back from Texas, there's still a lot of confidence in Ohio State that they can build around those guys in that group. And you brought that up on on the daily on Tuesday. Like maybe maybe a portal addition isn't 
an absolute necessity for Ohio State. That would depth is probably going to require some of that, but a frontline starter probably not because you now have this development uh, under the belt of Brandon Ennis and Carnell Tate to carry into next year, and and I think that they 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 made the most out of the situation that they had. Yeah, it was it was disappointing, I guess, and it's not necessarily that those guys played poorly. Although I guess Carnell Tate, I think, had a drop in that game. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, he might have been credited with one, but like he was targeted four times. Brandon Ennis was targeted once. Emeka Ibuka led the team with six targets, and they only threw 19 passes. So it just it just turned into a game where where those guys unfortunately weren't going to be showcased. Um, maybe and I think it's it's a much different world if Devin Brown stays healthy because I think Ohio State would have eventually gotten into more of a throw game as, as Devin got a, a little more comfortable probably in the second half of that game. So so it's still a lot of projection, especially with Brandon Ennis. But I think if you and I tried to do this with Emeka Ibuka too when he was younger, right? If you Look at how Xavier Johnson was used in that game. Um, guy got a couple targets in the past game. I think he got five carries. Some of them were when he was purely lined up in the backfield. Some of them was when he was like lined up in the slot and came and took some sweeps. Like I definitely think Brandon Ennis can do, do some of that stuff. I'm actually kind of bummed out that we didn't get to see any of that because um, because he's pretty electric. I think with the ball in his hands, and obviously that lends itself to punt returning too. If Ohio State ever wants to put a guy who's actually a threat back there to do it, um, but not to, not to get you all riled up, but. Um, I, I do think it's we're doing not, very we're doing very poorly on the trying yeah. to keep it positive stock watch. Yeah, I think like I'm still I'm still very high on those guys. Like I know we were we were hoping it would be a coming out party for them, similar to what the Rose Bowl was for for Marvin um, and Emeka a couple of years ago, and it definitely wasn't that. But um, I don't, I don't know if 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 the the stock price has dropped it all on them because of that Cotton Bowl game. I would certainly uh, buy a lot of it because because I think the future is bright for for the pair of of Carnell Tate and Brandon Ennis, and obviously it helps them if Emeka Book comes back. And I would lump like I'm lumping a Jeremiah Smith in there too. And I, I'm I'm a guy who tries to not put undue expectations on true freshmen. I I don't think I'll do that with Jeremiah Smith. I think <laughs> I think I'll, I'm watching highlights of him down at the Army Bowl and just like watching him do routes on air. I'm like, oh my goodness. So um, I, I I would put him in there too. I th- I think the I think receivers fine. Um, they'll they'll be young, but I think it's okay to be young at that spot. Yeah, I think sometimes Xavier Johnson's athleticism doesn't get enough credit. Uh, you know, we talk about him a lot and the versatility that it provides and like late in that you know late in that 2022 season it was like maybe they should be doing this more but not making it so obvious that every time he steps on the field he's going to touch it and yeah. it didn't put him in spots but he was he had a lot of electrifying runs and there was that point on Friday night where he caught the ball and then got hit low and had to get the medical attention like at that point he had accounted for 44% of Ohio State's offensive yardage and all of this is a build up to say Xavier Johnson deserves more credit than he may have received but also in terms of pure uh, measurable athleticism and high-end upside potential this is not meant as a knock at all again love Xavier Johnson praising it imagining what Brandon Ennis could do in that same role is a very different proposition so yeah you know I think that that part has to be exciting and that stuff has to still be part of this plan because it just feels like I don't know if you agree with this, but it, it felt like Ohio State would just view any touches for Xavier Johnson as like out of the gadget bag. And I think there needs to be more of it in the actual base offense. Yeah, it, it, I mean, and it's not, 
I hesitate to to bring the H back word back into Ohio State's offense, but it was such a focal point of what Urban Meyer did. And you know, the sport has changed a little bit, and teams are more used to that. So, like, I, I don't think you can rely on it all the time. But you know, I'm watching the the college football playoff game on play playoff games on Saturday, and, and seeing how some of these teams really kind of weaponize like the slot position and have some versatile guys in there. Washington, in particular, um, yeah, I, I do think Ohio State can 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 do more of that. There's these guys are really excellent receivers, right? So, so I, I get wanting to mostly treat them as such, but especially for a team that was like really struggling for a lot of the year to figure out how to run the ball effectively and would kind of uh, go back and forth on like sort of how creative and diverse they wanted to be, or or maybe they just you know I, in this game in particular, it felt like they became a little one note again with the way they were trying to run the ball. Like that's a position that I think can unlock a lot for you. And it's the reason you recruit guys like Brandon Innes. Like he's a super dynamic athlete. He played quarterback in high school, as we've said a bunch of times. Like he's comfortable with the ball in his hands. He doesn't have to be 15 yards down the field for you to get him the ball and, and for him to have an impact on the offense. So um, I think just like generally they need to infuse a little bit more creativity and like fun into this offense. And like guys like Brandon Innes and like Carnell Tate, really any of the receivers. Like Emeka Buka has the same skill set, I think. As Brandon Innes, if he if he comes back, like there's there's any number of guys you can use to, to unlock some of that stuff. It's just a matter of, of you know whether or not that's the direction Ryan Day and Brian Hartline and Justin Fry and all those guys want to go. All right, well maybe this will be a little bit easier and potentially more fun. How about on the defensive side? Yeah, it's Jack Sawyer, man. Like I, <laughs> that game was <laughs> that game was ridiculous. Like he, um, I think it was on the first drive. It wasn't. It was one of the first plays of the game where Brady Cook like got outside the pocket and like scrambled for like 30 yards and Jack Sawyer was like blocking his guy and like looking around like he didn't know where where the football was and I was like oh boy that's not a great look for Jack but then from that moment on he was dominant and that was a pretty good offensive line I thought that that Ohio State was playing against with Missouri they were I think semifinalists for the Joe Moore award they had not given up a ton of sacks all year Jack ends up with three um kind of got him in different way like it was mostly power but like he Knocked the puller like kind of back into the quarterback. He just won off the edge one. I think one time they didn't block him, but yeah. um, or he's getting red maybe, and he just kind of got free. But that that happens. But when that happens, you got to you got to finish the play too. So um, he had been playing really well over the second half of the season. Like Jim Knowles remarked on that several times when we talked to him, and I I, I found myself agreeing with him at every turn. Most of that I thought was was how well Jack was playing against the run, but he had been seeing an uptick in pressures, even though they weren't leading the sacks. So it was great to see. Him get six pressures and, and three of those end up with sacks. And, you know, he he strongly hinted when we talked to him during the week that he was going to be coming back this year. I don't think it's the kind of game that's necessarily going to change his mind. Um, and I think it might it might have been you, I think, who said to me, like, because I, I might have floated that and you said, well, like Luke Buckler could be a cautionary tale when guys are considering using the, the bowl game as like a one-game sample size to change their mind and go off to the NFL. I, th- I think Jack's a smart kid and understands that if he could come back next year and not necessarily have three sacks every game, although that'd be tremendous, um, but but just play like <laughs> the dominant pass rusher that he looked like um, in that game and and just like the stout physical defensive end that he looked like for, I think, the second half of the season, then he's a guy who can really help himself and help Ohio State's defense next year. Yeah, I don't think that you could fault Jack Sawyer. I think his, his stock uh, was probably in a spot where he could have been third or fourth round pick anyway, just based on the size strength profile and that he has and enough tape after playing for three years at Ohio state, like he'd be a draft pick. There's no question about that. The danger of sometimes using that one game is like, 
well, that's really going to change the scout's mind. Uh, they would like to see it over an extended period of time. They're not yeah. in the business of just taking one. Oh, look what he did against Missouri. Those were Joe Moore semifinalists. Holy cow. Three sacks against Missouri. We're done here. The rest of the tape doesn't matter. And that's not to slight because Jack over the second half of the season was really soaring. And like we were talking about him over and over and like the production was growing. You could see how close he was to, to really taking off. And now this is something that you put that in, and And again, if Jack decides that he wants to change his mind from what we have previously indicated and been told, I, I would be okay with that. That's up to him. I, I think taking what happened against Missouri using that as a platform for scouts and general managers to th be thinking about him heading into spring, he heading into their draft boards, preparing for 2025. And then if you do that two, three, four times as a senior, you're not talking about a third or fourth round pick or solidifying that you might sneak into the second because of one good game. Like I think the stuff that's happened where people were pen penciling in JT and Jack as first round picks throughout the pre in the mock drafts throughout the previous offseason that was premature yeah. and it was a projection. They're starting to fulfill that. I don't think either one are, are currently first round draft picks, but that version of Jack Sawyer, if you start to get that on a consistent basis, again, doesn't have to be three sacks every week, but again, that only put him at six for the year to lead Ohio state. They need to get back to, if not chase young levels, breaking records, having a double dead digit sack presence. And this is what that sets the table for, for Jack Sawyer. And that's what can lead to generational wealth. The stock is definitely going up. And if he wants to cash in, that's fine. I'd recommend holding it and then doing that again, because the reward for that is, is exponential. Yeah. It's, it's like what Denzel Burke was talking about, right? The difference between being like the, I don't know, 39th pick and the ninth pick is like tens of millions of dollars right and, yeah. and and these guys are aware of that so so again I'm, I'm i'm with you like whatever whatever jack decides to do ultimately i i won't fault him for it if he decides to go and and certainly um he's entitled to change his mind and and think that he did something to help himself in that game he, he clearly did um i'm still i'm still in the boat of he's probably going to come back um and i think i'd still be surprised if if he doesn't and like playing well in a bowl game doesn't doesn't guarantee that he's going to be a monster next year. But it's not for me. It wasn't just a one game sample size. It was like sort of an exclamation point on what I thought was a really good like last five six games for Jack Sawyer. And and the thing that was particularly encouraging was that he had played well at the end of the year. Then had that month off. If he would have come out and like looked rusty and not played all that well, it would have almost been understandable. But instead, he kind of took it to another level against a pretty good offense and in particular a good offensive line. So. Um, that would have me really excited about about what he could be in 2024. And you know, it's not it's not the plan for five star guys to come here and like have to use all four of their years to really reach um, their their ceiling or, or whatever their ceiling could be as a college player. But um, I think it's okay if if that happens. Not everybody has to be Chase Young. So for Jack Sawyer, I think Jack's got 10 sacks the last two years. Um, this is the most sacks an Ohio State player has had since Chase Young. Like. It's not. It's not necessarily the benchmark that that people are holding defensive ends to 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 have six or six and a half sacks, but it's a step in the right direction, I think, for a player that people have been eager to see take take that next step. And it really feels like Jack has. You mentioned somebody else that I think, like early in the year, I know, um, you know, through our tech subscribers and others, like people wondering why Ty Hamilton remained in the mix, and like I would say, well, it's the consistency. They know that you're going to get play in, play out assignment sound football from him is he as 
physically imposing as Tyreek Williams or as uh, explosive as Mike Hall. No, he's not. But he's he's a very important part of this foundation for Ohio State. It's often overlooked, and I do think that that floor is being raised as as the season went on. I thought he got better. I thought he played. I don't. I I didn't take note of every single snap he played. You know, the PFF grades can be whatever. We'll take them with the grain of salt. He's flashed two or three plays in virtually every game in the second half of the year, and he did it in another big moment um, before Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl for whatever it was worth, not not changing the outcome. Like, I think the loss of Mike Hall can be, that storm can be weathered. That would be tough if if it becomes both him and Tyleek Williams, and, and then Ty Hamilton is like your frontline veteran to anchor in the inside, but... This is these are the people that I think he's you have to have I, I, I hate to call it a glue guy but a, a solid role player with a higher floor than he probably gets credit for never going to be a super high early round draft pick but I just I continue to be impressed with the way he handles his business and he had another moment or two that I thought was really encouraging for Ohio State against Missouri yeah, he's he's just a solid player. He's the kind of player I think successful defensive lines have. Just like a little unsung, and that's okay. Um, PFF has a stat that's like it's defensive stops. It's like plays that constitute a failure for the offense. And I, I don't really know how they define that. I, I would assume it's like you gain less than three yards or whatever on first down, depending on down and distance. But he had five of them in that game, which was his high for the season and tied for the, the team high in that game with, with Steel Chambers. So like he showed up for, for sure. Mm-hmm. He's not a super splashy guy he'll make a play in the backfield from from time to time but his job was more about doing a lot of dirty work and um clearing things up for linebackers and other other defensive linemen and you absolutely need that up front um if they end up losing him which i i don't i don't know i'm i'm kind of on the fence with what he might do i don't he's not like a you know his, his brother was a third round pick i don't think ty's gonna be a third round pick but i think ty would probably get drafted if he came out just because i think he's like a good character guy and like a solid player um, with with some decent production, but there's an opportunity maybe for him to come back and play a little more, perhaps flash a little more, depending on what kind of stuff maybe they want to change up with the defensive line. Um, but yeah, I, I thought I thought that was actually like their I thought their three best defensive players in the Cotton Bowl, and it was like sort of the nature of the game because the ball was being run a lot. Were Jack Sawyer, Ty Hamilton, and Cody Simon? I thought had a really good game too. And Denzel. Um... Denzel Burke is uh, quite good as well. I don't know that that was any big surprise, but you know those were the those were the building blocks there of a really good defensive effort. I I, I do think that that needs to be said. Um, a, a reminder: it, it should seem pretty obvious, but like the deficiencies and and the disappointment are were primarily about the offensive game plan and more special teams penalties and issues there. Like I, the defense did whatever it's whatever it could. So there's not. You know, we th- you think about this, and you head into 2024, and we talk about coaching staff moves, or Ohio State looking at the portal for a quarterback, or this, that, and the other thing. Like, that's about reaching the championship standard in all three phases. Even they gave up the two touchdown drives in in the second half, and they wound up losing the game. But you know, that was as close to what you could possibly want on that side from the defense as a whole. So, you know, that's. That's not the stuff that we're talking about. There were fixes and improvements that had to be made after 2022. We talked about that. I think if they get the decisions that they are expecting and want with the roster and with the coaching staff 
even if they don't make any move to get a second defensive line coach, which I do think is in the best interest of the of even still upgrading and enhancing on that side of the football, they're in one of the best spots in America on defense. Like, yeah. They're number two in scoring. They were what number three in total defense, or you can flip those around, whatever they were. They are in they are in position right there. And it's it's just that's what makes it awkward for us to be talking about this because we've we've now grown accustomed to a super explosive offense and Ryan Day fireworks and quarterbacks. And like now we're figuring out what that looks like for them to get back to the championship standard because now the defense is already there. Yeah, I think I think it is there. And and those those personnel decisions are key, right? Like if they and they're getting bad news that we're not we're not expecting a, a flood of bad news, but some guys could maybe do something different than what we're anticipating. Then they'll, they'll have to readjust. But um, at the moment, it looks like the 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 floor for the defense is going to be incredibly high next year. I, I do think the ceiling could be raised, like whether that's through some coaching changes, particularly up front, or just like some different ideas of how to generate more pressure or how to get how to find ways to get more takeaways. Like they're they're a stout solid defense it's kind of it's kind of strange that they didn't have that many takeaways given how good they were in, in almost every other facet so mm-hmm. i think that's the areas where they could could improve but um i also think there's something to be said for just like kind of being sound and and reliable and i think at the very least ohio state's defense has gotten to that point and now it's like how how can you enhance it as you move forward and obviously getting all these guys back who we think they, they could and, and quite possibly will get back uh, is the first step in that in that direction I knew we could find some bright spots from one of the <laughs> weirdest games that I I can remember covering in a long time at Ohio State, and we got through a stock watch on a Wednesday on the podcast daily. So we are we're full steam ahead into 2024 here. A couple of episodes in the bag already. We'll be back with another one on Thursday morning on the podcast daily. Appreciate Bill Landis grinding through. I, maybe you'll have a voice by tomorrow. Right? Well, I hope so. I hope we we got like uh, two more kings of the north, the kings of Columbus, and then all that. Like, yeah, vocal vocal rest is not a thing. I'm just going to keep down in Alka Seltzer and hope hope it helps. All right, well, he is uh, the best in the business, playing through pain <laughs> and not going to slow down as we keep the content rolling along here all year, covering Ohio State football and just getting started. For Bill Landis, I'm Austin Ward. Thanks for joining us on the podcast daily. We'll see you later.